Well, this evening, as we said, we're going to begin a new series. Some of these principles we have taught in the past, but it's a good thing sometimes to review. Some of them go back into them. Some folks haven't been here for that long and haven't spent any time on them. But one of the things that is so important for us as, as uh, Christians is the development of our spirit. And we're calling this one God's boot camp, but it just seems like some of us can just never get out of boot camp. It just seems like we're always in there getting our, ourselves fixed, getting ourselves taken care of. There are two supreme forces or influences that will lead you in this life. The first is the flesh. It's either stirred up by Satan or it's self-powered. You know, we can, we can empower our flesh too. We don't always need Satan to stir it up. We're pretty good at it ourselves. But the other is the spirit. It is the Spirit within us, the Spirit that God put in us. And when we become reborn, that Spirit is, is given anew. We have a brand new Spirit on the inside of us. And that Spirit has a connection with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. It's a powerful and a flawless influence on our life. But neglected, it won't become as powerful if we can neglect the Spirit that is within us. If we continually yield to sin, we weaken the Spirit's ability over us. Mm-hmm. Brother Hagen used to share with us a number of stories when he was teaching us in school about the development of our spirit. And he would tell us about s- stories that he had heard of young children whose parents, unsaved as they were, uh, one in particular, they, um, they were unsaved and the child was, I, don't, I think, two, three, maybe four, somewhere in that neck of the woods. And they were out and they had an accident. And right at the moment that they had an accident, the child got up and ran outside and the babysitter ran after the child. And the child just said, we have to save mommy and daddy. There was another time when he would tell us a story of a young child. They were in an airplane and they were watching the plane take off from the runway. And the child, young child again, three, four, five, somewhere in that area, was watching the plane take off. And he turned to mom and he says, Mommy, Daddy's not on that plane, is he? And she said, Well, yeah, you know he's on that plane. He went on, he has to go to such and such a place. And he says, Doesn't Daddy know it's going to crash into the mountain? Not more than a few moments later, the plane crashed into the mountain. A number of stories like this, and it's, it uh, just goes to show us that when we are born into this life, we're not that far from God. <laughs> that it's through our... our yieldedness to sin that we grow apart from him that our spirit actually is is more in tune with the spirit of god in the beginning of our life than many of us ever get back to but we need to we can get back to that and we can focus on that paul used to talk taught about in the in the word of god that when sin came when the law came that he died that up until that point he i guess he was alive and we've come out with that with a law of, uh, of uh, accountability that up until the point that a child becomes accountable, it seems that they're born again, which would make sense because there is no place in the Word of God that is ever written that your name is written in the book of life. No place in the Word of God that you can find that the Word of God says God has written your name in the book of life at some point in your life. What He says is your name is blotted out. So apparently your name was in there. It would seem that everyone's name is in there until some point along the way they do something that causes it to be blotted out. 
rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior. Such things like that. We're not trying to teach you that everybody's saved. But it seems like when you're born in this life, you start out on that side until you come to a place of rejecting Jesus Christ. You see, if, it, if your name had to be written in the, in the book of life at the time that you got born again, then what happens to a child who's a year old? They never came to a place of being born again. Their name never got written in because they never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're a year old. What happened to them? seems that children are a lot closer to God than adults are because we've had years to harden ourselves to it and to walk in a different way. But if we walk in the right way, we can follow after better examples, come to better places. In uh, Acts chapter 27, and we'll look into a number of these things. In verse 9, this is not in your outline. We're going to look at 9 through 12. Acts 27, 9-12 Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any other means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Now, how did Paul know that this voyage would end in shipwreck? And of course, you read the rest of the story, and most of you know the rest of the story. It does end in shipwreck. How does Paul know that? Is he a fortune teller? No, it's that in his spirit. It's been revealed to his, to his spirit. It wasn't an angel that showed up because he would have said an angel appeared to me. And later on in the voyage, while they're in the midst of the storm, an angel does appear to, to Paul and tells him some things about it. But up till then, all he had was this perception that he perceived that this voyage would end. Now look at what he said here. I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Now, if you know the end of the story, you know that how many people died in this voyage? None. In fact, the angel appeared and said there'll be no loss of life. I bet you Paul was down there praying for him and interceding for him. But whatever the case, in his initial perception, this is what he perceived. There'll be loss of life as well as the cargo and the ship and other things like that. But in the end, it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. Now, again, it could have been changed, some because of his intercession. But sometimes perceptions aren't as clear as one guy comes right on down and just tells us something. But he still knew the yield to the perception. And he's trying to get them to yield to it as well. And they apparently weren't as opposed to yielding to it as we might think, being unsaved folks. They just looked at where they were and said, we can't winter here. This isn't a good place for us to stay for the winter. We've got to get to some place. Maybe if we get as far as Phoenix, maybe we get as far as here, that'll be good enough. Maybe we can get there before all this stuff will happen. And so that's what they were trying for. It wasn't that they were trying to ignore him. That's what uh, my Bible says. Paul's warning was ignored. I don't think it was ignored. I think they tried to yield it as best they could. Of course, in the end, it would have been better for them to winter in a non-winterized port than to have the ship go down the way it did. <laughs> but hey, what are you going to do? But this is a perception. Now, we'll look at other examples of people who picked up on things and, 
and heard things and God guided them and God led them. Isn't it a whole lot better if God led you? Wouldn't it be better if God led you to take that job or not to take that job? To go after that promotion or not to go after that promotion? To buy that house? To buy that car? To not buy that car? To not buy that house? Isn't that a whole lot better? People who listen to the Spirit of God, they wouldn't have gone some ways in the area of dating or marriage. They wouldn't have picked up some friends. They wouldn't have picked up some, some other things in life. They would have listened to the, the, the voice of the Spirit. But see, we haven't learned to develop it. How many have ever had a desire at some point in their life, maybe not now, but maybe some time somewhere, desire to work out or lift some weights, do some things to increase your body strength or whatever it might be. And, uh, you know, the desire is good for that. It's, it's good to have a desire. Yeah, I like to, to do that. But in order to do that, you've got to go and you've got to study about it. You've got to find out what to do. You don't just go out there and jump in the weight room and, all right, let's get at it. You've got to find out what to do with those weights, how to make it work for you. Now to make it easier, they have uh, trainers and they've already done the studying. you just got to yield yourself to them. But then after you learn all that, you've got to get out there and apply it. And if you don't apply it on a regular basis, then your, your muscles, they don't respond. They don't, they don't do anything. You've got to do it on a regular basis. Well, it's the same thing with our spirit. Our spirit can be ignored. Our spirit can be undeveloped. It can be underdeveloped. It can become lazy. We cannot tap into all the resources that our spirit has. I mean, not just the body, but even your mind. Why do you go to school? Isn't it to train your mind? Build up your mind to, to, to know more things, to be able to do more things in your job? Well, if we don't continue at it and keep studying, then our mind gets less sharp and we don't pull in as much details. How many of you ever thought, boy, I wish I was in school. I would have studied that language better. <laughs> I'd know two languages. I'd know three languages or something like that. And, you know, it's easier to look back, but when you're going through it and pressing through and trying to put a dedication in to learn that thing, it was hard, wasn't it? Well, it's the same thing with the Spirit. Training your spirit is not the easiest thing in the world, but it's very rewarding. It's very helpful in the area of life. So we're going to look at some of the principles about training our spirit. For some that are reviewing it, you can uh, check on some things, see how you're doing, see if you forgot some things, see if you're not working on some things. But in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. It is your spirit that is your lamp. It's not your soul. It's your spirit. That's where we got to spend most of our time. That's what we have to develop. Now, just wanting to develop your spirit doesn't mean that it will. You got to learn to do the right things. You got to learn how to how to develop it. And some things that the Word of God may tell you, do this, you'll say, nah, I don't need to do that. That's not so important. I don't think that's going to be necessary. And you, and you don't necessarily go after and do it. But we have to yield ourselves to what's important. You know, people who go into the uh, martial arts or the karate and things like that, they, uh, they're, if you're going to develop that, you have a person who's ahead of you. And they mentor you and they help you and they tell you things to do. And you have to yield yourself to those things that they say to do, even though they may not seem all that important. You all know that all through, uh, uh, through most of my life, I like to run and do things of that nature. But in high school, I was pretty ignorant. I just ran. 
I didn't know anything about the sport. I didn't study any books. I didn't read any magazines. All I did was run. I didn't even have the right shoes. I just had these Sears and Roebuck pairs of sneakers and ran in them. <laughs> didn't have anything at all. I ran 10, 15 miles in those things a day and didn't think much of it. Wasn't the best thing in the world to be to be running those things. And well, I remember this so vividly. I remember this. We had gym class, and in gym class we uh, had a uh, the, our track coach was the gym teacher, which unfortunately he took some time off. It was several weeks, and his time off was during the peak time when we were training in gym class for they were going to have us run the mile, and we were going to run the mile and see, you know he's supposed to be able to run the mile so fast in order to get an A and B and C and all that sort of stuff. And so uh, they, had, they had workouts. Well, he wasn't there when we were doing these particular workouts on the track. It was a substitute teacher. It was a, a lady gym teacher who, who had come out. And she wasn't a track coach. In fact, she wasn't, uh, I think she was a coach somewhere in school. I'm not sure what she coached. I don't remember that part. But I know she had nothing to do with the track and field area. But he did. And so he wrote up these, these things for us to do to, to help us get better at the mile. And I had no idea what in the world he was trying to get us to do. So I jumped to my own conclusions about it. And so what he had us do was he would have us run around the track halfway and then walk the other half. And then run around the track halfway and then walk the other half. I said, that is the most ridiculous thing in the world. I can run 15 miles. I don't need to be walking halfway around the track. And so you watch a lot of these novice runners. They, they put everything they could... And all they can do is get halfway around the track and then they're glad they can be walking the rest of the way. And that's all that, the, that they were able to, to get done. But no one explained to me the purpose of why you would run around the track halfway and then walk the other half. And I think at some point they said to run the, the full lap and then walk so far. And, but no one ever explained it to me. So I just went out there and while gym class was going on, I just ran the whole gym class. Mm -hmm. We had 40, 45 minutes out there in gym. I ran the whole gym class. And then uh, I still ran in the morning. I still ran at night and, and did all the other running I was going to. I just added, had it be extra. And I did, thought nothing of it. And so we got on out there and, and we had our time to do the, do the times for, for all this. And I understand, I, the only kind of running I've ever done was just whatever I learned, whatever I did myself. I ran to work. I ran to school. I ran any place I ran to church. I ran to youth group. I ran to any youth group event. I ran everywhere. I needed no car and paid no insurance. And no one had to drop me off anywhere. I could run anywhere I needed to go and did. And just would run there. And so when we uh, had the competition, well, the, the, the final grade, we, uh, we ran around. And um, I was the second one in as far as time was concerned. There was one guy who was faster than I was. He was about 30 seconds faster on the, on the mile run. And everybody else was after us. And that was it. And I thought, well, that's fine and that's good. Never came to an understanding of what our, what our coach there was trying to do. I just figured I knew what it was that he was trying to do and that was it. And that was my senior year, first freshman year in college. I went to college and we got on out there. And again, all I've been doing is just running. And so we get on out there in college and, and uh, I tracked to a cross-country team had already shown up. They were up there a week earlier. And uh, I showed up. Later and found out, you know, is there any kind of team around here? Yeah, yeah, they meet over here. So I go on over and they say, sure, we'll love to have you be a part. And so I got to be a part and all they were doing was distance. Just getting everybody ready. I found out later why almost everybody who was on the cross-country team came to cross-country camp out of shape. They didn't run all summer. None of them did. I was the only one who ever ran all summer. But 
anyway, we got there, and that's all we're doing is distance. So I'm not learning anything. I'm still thinking the same thing. Then all of a sudden, we show up down on the track. And uh, all the other guys, they know exactly what to... I have no idea what to expect, but they all know exactly what to expect. And so we get on down there, and he says, all right, we're doing 20 quarters. Now, it didn't mean anything to me, but what it ended up being was that you'd run one quarter of a mile 20 times, and they gave us two minutes rest between each one. Now, you add that up, that's five miles of sprints. You were supposed to run these things at 90% speed. And they timed you on your first one. They timed everyone. But they would remember the first one. Because if you came in the first one at 60 seconds, you were expected to come in the next one at no less than 65 and no faster than 55. And if you slowed down too much, they'd get on you. They wanted that speed to be the, the same all the way on around. Nor could you come in there really slow and then just, you know, <laughs> they, they had some things that they were doing. So we did this thing. Dear Lord, I thought I'd die after that. <laughs> That was the most brutal workout I'd ever had. And uh, they told us afterwards, said, yeah, coaches softened up a little bit. We used to have to do hills after this. But we would run three or four miles before that workout and then run three or four miles after the workout just to warm up and warm down and, and all this. So that was my first time. And so I would begin to inquire, you know, why are we doing this? <laughs> why are we running a quarter mile one time around the track? so fast and then you know taking time to rest and and then it was explained to me how that develops your race speed and how that develops you running at a faster pace and it develops your body to get used to running at a faster pace for a shorter distance but by putting them all together it gets it closer to a race then i understood the whole philosophy behind it so oh i can embrace this (laughs) but see no one ever told me the philosophy behind it the coach back in high school wasn't around to tell me this is why we're doing this Otherwise, I would have embraced it back then, mm-hmm. gladly. And I would have been sprinting around them, them uh, quarters and, 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 and walking afterwards and, and enjoying that. And I, 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 but I learned the joy of intervals. That's what they're called. They were called interval training. And we learned the joy of them. Not only did they do 20 quarters, but they did another one called ladders, which you would start off with a 220, then progress to a quarter, and then go to a half, and then go to a three-quarter, and then go to a mile. And then you'd step back down, go to three-quarter and a half and a quarter and a 220. And that was your uh, workout. And they had a whole lot of other different ones they could do as well. And during the summer, I came up with some and did some reading and found some things to do. But see, this is a whole other aspect of training that I didn't know about. All I knew was to run distance. I didn't know about that. Then I found out there's some other kind of, of training beside that. That was two kinds. There's uh, about two other kinds that we focused on. Then these were all types of trainings that we did. And they all developed different things. But I didn't know about it and didn't get the benefit of it even though it was out there for me to know. So there's things that you can do to develop your spirit. But you've got to know what it is that will develop it and the purpose behind it. Because if you don't know what it is and if you don't know the purpose behind it, you'll react to it like I did the first time I found out about intervals. I don't need this. This is for novices. found out it wasn't for novices. In fact, novices couldn't even pull these things off. You needed, a, you needed somebody to tell you. And so we're going to go through the Word of God and look at some of these principles that are there. How is it, if the Spirit is our candle, if it is our lamp, how do we get it to burn brighter? How do we get it to to light up our life better? What are the principles that are involved? Because we don't want you to embrace something along the spiritual equivalent of intervals and not get the benefit of them. Go after them the, the way you would another type of training. And not get the benefit of it. 
So it's important that we, we learn these things. Well, can we be dominated by the flesh and the Spirit? In James chapter 3 and verse 10, it says, Out of the same mouth proceed, proceed blessing and cursing. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. Where would the blessing come from? Spirit, where would the cursing come from? So this is the person who has, at times, dominated by the flesh and at times, dominated by the Spirit. So then he goes on, My brethren, these things ought not to be so. It shouldn't be like this. You shouldn't be dominated by your flesh and dominated by your Spirit. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape, grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Well, we've got to get out of that place because it's not natural for you to give fresh water and salt water. It's not natural for you to try and bear frigs and grapes. That's not natural. That's not something to be done. We need to bear one or the other. And it sure is better to do the good. Well, in the area of feeding the flesh, first off, we feed our flesh this way. First, give in to sin. When sin comes up, just give in to it. Every time you give in to sin, every time sin comes into your life and you give in, you are feeding your flesh. You are training your flesh. You are giving your flesh weights and working out your flesh. And if you wonder why your flesh is so dominant in your life, it's because you have fed your flesh, you have worked out your flesh, you have developed your flesh in your life, and it's become strong. So if you want to develop that, give in to sin. Every time sin pops up, give in to it. Do what you want. That's a good way to develop your flesh. Obey God's Word if you want to. Listen to any kind of music you want. Hang out with whomever you want to. Marry the one that you think is right. Just do what you want. That'll develop your flesh. You do stuff like that, that'll develop your flesh. How many of you, you're listening to something, reading stuff, you, I shouldn't be doing this. Why are you doing it? Because I want to. So what are you developing? What are you feeding? Your flesh. Don't help others unless it directly benefits you. That's always a good way to develop your flesh. That's not going to help me to help them. I'm not going to do that. Go to church if your schedule permits. Right? If it's okay. If nothing else is going on today. If you feel good. If you woke up and didn't feel tired. If nothing else was happening. Nobody called on the phone. No special on TV. <laughs> then go ahead, go to church. <laughs> give your desires priority in your life. Whatever it is you want, you give it to the priority. If you want to get that thing, that's your desire, go ahead and get it. Don't worry about what God says. Don't worry about if God says you should or shouldn't. Just go ahead and do it. You're tired of your car? Get a new one! Don't worry about if God say, no, don't do it. Don't worry about that. Just feed your flesh. 
Now, that's not the saying every time you buy a new car, it's your flesh. Please don't think that. You can go out and buy nice stuff and God be in it. And God be telling you, go on out there and do that now. That's all right. God may say, no, don't get it yet. Don't get it yet. Don't get it yet. Now get it. Because all of a sudden there's a deal there. Amen. <laughs> there's a good deal. Or something was better. I don't know what it is. We don't have to know. Sometimes he'll tell us. But just be, be walking that way. But if you want to develop your flesh, do it this way. Now, if you walk in the flesh, here's what you'll get. You will always struggle with what you know to be right and what you want to be right. That will always be a struggle for you if you continually feed your flesh over your spirit. You will always struggle with what you know to be right and what you want to be right. Well, I know I shouldn't do that, but I want to. And you got that struggle going on. How many times have you struggled in what you know to be right wins and you think, oh, I won that one. No, you didn't. You didn't win that. It shouldn't have been a battle. It shouldn't have even been a battle. The fact that there was a battle says your flesh has a handle on your life. It shouldn't have been a battle. If God says, no, don't do it, you should say, yes, sir. And that's it. Don't even entertain it. Don't even think about it. You shouldn't even entertain something that God says no to. As soon as God says no to you, say, that's it. I'm done. I'm not thinking about it anymore. The reason we have struggles in this area is because I keep going, but God, how about if I do it this way? <laughs> when you decide you want God's direction, it will be hard for you to hear it. If you feed your flesh. When you decide you want God's direction, it will be hard for you to hear it. I like this one. Other people will not rise to help you unless it directly benefits them. Why is that? Because I don't rise to help them unless it directly benefits me. The voice of your flesh will rise so strong in you that it will sound like the voice of your spirit. How many of you have heard people, seen people, and they I think God is leading me to do this. <laughs> and you hear that and you say, no, no, God is not leading you. And you can give them verses, <laughs> scriptures. Yeah, but I just think God is leading me to do that. And you sit there shaking your head. How can you think that? This is why. If you feed your flesh, you'll have a hard time discerning that voice. And the voice of your flesh will sound like the voice of God. And people have no, I mean, people who walk this way, they have no idea. No idea. Because I, this is worded carefully. The voice of your flesh will rise so strong in you that it will sound like the voice of your spirit. And so it'll rise up in them and they'll say, I think God wants me to do this. And they step out to do it. And a week later, nope, 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 God doesn't want me to do that anymore. God wants me to do this. No clue. You sit there shaking your head and say, surely now you'll realize that wasn't God. Nope, nope, no. God wanted me to do that. Now He wants me to do this. You think, how can anyone be so stupid? 
Well, we may have been one of those ones that was that stupid before, huh? But you can't tell. You cannot tell. That voice of your flesh sounds just like the voice of God. It sounds just like it. And you're going to go after it and obey it and do it just like it was the voice of God because you think it is. And next week, God will change His mind. And then He'll change His mind again. And then He'll change His mind again. God changes His mind an awful lot for some people. <laughs> I just God doesn't change His mind that much. He doesn't make mistakes, first off. And if He says, I want you to go over there and do that, He wants you to go over there and do that. That's all there is to it. You imagine on the battlefield, if a sergeant says to a private, go over there and do that. He comes back over, I don't think you want me to do that. <laughs> uh-uh. That ain't going to work out so well. Well, have we, we've identified the, the, the walk in the flesh, haven't we? Let's get over here and identify the spirit side. First, the... Feed the Spirit. You know how to do this. Word meditations. Just meditate on the Word of God. Get in there meditate on the Word. Don't meditate on country music. Meditate on the Word of God. Get in there meditate on that stuff. That will help you out. Get in there and don't let your, your life be dominated by news. Get KYW off of your radio in your car. Get channel 3, 6, and 10 off of your stations at 11 o'clock at night. Get rid of them. ESPN, get rid of all those things. You don't need them newscasters coming on in and, and filling your mind with stuff. Get it out of there. Now, I'm not saying that you have to have all your meditations be based on the Word of God, but make sure that they aren't anti. See, there's a lot of music out there that's anti-Word. You want to go out there and watch some... Uh, sporting thing or you want to watch some ice skating thing and it's not necessarily Word of God but it's not against it, then that's fine. But don't get out there and listen to news commentators who are against the Word of God and are against God. That's not going to help you out. Don't sit there and sing tunes, the songs about adultery, immorality, lying, deception. Don't be, don't be singing those songs. I like David Ingalls song he does that. I don't sing them songs anymore. <laughs> like Born to Lose and all the like before. <laughs> what you say is what you get for sure. I don't sing those songs anymore. Don't sing them. Don't let them in. <laughs> don't, don't entertain things that are against the Word. I had I had opportunity occasion that needed to get to the doctor's office this morning. One of those things that just suddenly came up from last night, and um, so I'm in there having him check out this this um, injury. <laughs> and as I'm sitting there, and he's uh, you know ordering the X-rays and this the stuff I had to go out and get done, and he he looks over my file and he says, uh, "Are you a candidate for the flu shot?" I said, "No, sir." <laughs> <laughs> he's going to give me one even for free <laughs> I said no I'm not a candidate for that not even going to entertain all, the, all that stuff Mm-mm. don't need it I don't and never don't even give it a second thought after that well if I get that maybe I won't no
Get the word meditations going on the inside. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage, and do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen. Get those meditations down. And go over stuff that's, that's good to be thinking on. And meditate on that stuff. Word actions. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. Oh, people, it does not do you any good to have word meditations and not do the things you meditate on. That's like going out there and reading weightlifting books and sitting on your couch. Does you no good at all. It does not work. <laughs> It doesn't even help to sit on your couch and watch the TV with somebody else do it. No. You have to get out there and do it. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, <laughs> you must do them. You, if you don't do them, they're not doing you any good. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. If you want to be able to negotiate standing in the face of storms, do what you know to do. Have word actions. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 8. Now do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter His sanctuary, which He has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God. And the fierceness of His wrath may turn away from you. That the fierceness of His wrath may turn away from you. Well, you got to have word desires. you got to desire the things of God. These folks became stiff-necked because they desired something different from God. Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord. The reason we don't yield ourselves is because I don't desire the thing. I desire something else more. So I've got to have word actions. I've got to have word desires. I must desire the things that the Word of God tells me to have. I must desire the things the Word of God tells me I should go and, and do. Those must be my desires. When God says, I want you in this job, stop desiring another. When God says, I want you to minister to these people, stop desiring different people. Amen. But can we get caught up with that? Haven't you been in a job and God says, this is where I want you. Stay here. And then down on the inside of us, we begin to entertain desiring other things. Well, I bet if I had that job, I'd be all right. Life would be better. I bet if I was around those people. I bet if I wasn't around these things. And we begin to imagine ourselves and desiring things other than what God has given us and God has blessed us with. Now, I'm not saying don't have vision. You can have vision. God says, this is where you're going to be down the road. 
This is where you are now. This is where I want you now. But this is where you're going to be down the road. Glory to God. You can desire that thing. Father, I thank you that down the road I'm going to have that. But that doesn't take away right now. I'm perfectly satisfied with having what you gave me. Thank you, Father God. I put in your outline, take a lesson from a rock in Numbers chapter 20, from verse 8. Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron. Gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and the animals. Now imagine if you were the rock and here's the plan of God. Moses and Aaron go up to the rock, hit it with your rod and that rock is going to bring forth water and you are the rock. How about if you imagine, I don't have water. God, I've never given water before. I don't want to give water to these people. I don't like these people. These people are rebelling against you, God. I don't want to give them water. What if you were the rock? Couldn't you come up with some things? <laughs> How many times have we said that to God? God says, I want you to do this. I don't have that in me, God. I can't do that. I've never done that before. What are you doing asking me to do that for? And we start having arguments with God. Take a lesson from a rock. What does it say the rock did? It will yield its water. Did you know that rocks had water? <laughs> it will yield its water. Must have been a lot of water in that rock because it watered a lot of people. Mm. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation. See, if that rock had other desires, pursued other desires, it wouldn't have yielded. It wouldn't have given it up. But, it, but, but God says, rock, give water. Okay, God, I'm ready. That's how we got to be. Take a lesson from a rock. The last is godly emotions. We'll get more into these things as time goes on. I didn't figure we had a whole lot of time to get into each one of them. But godly emotions. Too often, we let our emotions rule us. If I feel good today, if I feel bad today, if so-and-so made me mad, if so-and-so made me hurt, if so-and-so got me angry, don't we have certain reactions and certain ways of going? Why do we have them? Because I have godly emotions because first off, I wasn't meditating on the Word of God. I didn't act on the Word of God. And I had desires different from the Word of God. Therefore, my emotions are wrong. See, godly emotions don't start with willing to have those emotions. They start first off with meditating on the Word, meditating on the right things, acting on those things, and desiring the right things. You do those first three, you'll have godly emotions. Godly emotions. Well, walk in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, when you need wisdom... God's will be supplied. When you need strength, God's will be supplied. When you need resources, God's will be supplied. When you need love, God's will be supplied. Isn't that a whole lot better than to walk in the flesh? But see, a lot of Christians are walking in the flesh and expecting when they need resources to have God's. Expecting when they need wisdom to have God's. Expecting when they need strength to have God's strength. Expecting that when they need to love, they'll have God's love. But they're walking in their flesh. You can't do that. Can't, can't have those things. 
not a walk after after God. You know, if you want to get in those weights and lift those weights and have those muscles like so-and-so has, but you're not willing to do the things that lead up to it, then don't get to the finished product and say, oh, I want to be that way. How come I'm not that way? You didn't do it right. When you need righteousness, God's will be supplied. Oh, glory to God for that. Amen. I want God's righteousness. I don't need my own. Walk in the Spirit. Feed the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, these are the things at your disposal. Now in James chapter 3. Let's go back on over to there. We covered part of it already. James chapter 3. We'll pick up at verse 10 again where we already had read. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. When you walk according to the flesh, the wisdom at your disposal, disposal is this kind. But a person who walks according to the flesh cannot distinguish between this wisdom and godly wisdom. And often walk after this. And you can give them godly wisdom and they won't recognize it. And they'll go off and do their own thing. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Where envy and self-seeking... What is, how is it that we get hurt feelings? Can you get hurt feelings without being self-seeking? Aren't you seeking after... I, 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 I was expecting this. I was looking for this. What's that? It's something about self. Yeah. You, I'm, I'm looking out for me. I want them to feel good myself. I, I want people to think good of me. I want people to have good opinions of me. For where envy and self-seeking exist, if they exist... Confusion and every evil thing are there. We've got to get rid of this. See, this is part of the flesh. Envy and self-seeking is part of the flesh. You've got to get rid of that. Stop seeking after yourself. Stop seeking after a notification of yourself. Stop seeking that people know, uh, recognize who you are and what you are and what you've done. Who cares? God is the only one that matters. Don't look for recognition. Don't get in that place, well, I have to be this and other people ought to do this. But don't, don't you mess with it. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Now, how many of you have ever been confused about something in your life? You can use this scripture against it if you're walking right. Confusion, you have no part of my life because I do not allow envy and I do not allow self-seeking in my life. Therefore, you have no right to be here. I am not confused on this issue. I am not unclear. God's way is clear to me and it is certain and you have no place 
in this. How many have ever come against confusion that way? You know you can. Because confusion exists exists where? Where envy and self-seeking are. Both of those things are not godly things to be pursuing. So get rid of those things and you can tell confusion to take a hike. I will not be confused. Every evil thing. So he just lumped the rest of them all that in, in that. But confusion, he mentions everything, everything else is just lumped together. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable. Oh, pure, then peaceable. So many people think they're walking in the wisdom of God and the things that come out of their mouths are, are not peaceable. Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality. So many people I hear speaking things out of their mouth, expect that what they're saying is the wisdom of God and they are partial to something. Stop being partial. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. In other words, what I say, I do. What I believe, I walk in. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now I want you to go over to verse 1 of chapter 4. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Where do wars and fights come from among you? If we get into wars and fights among us, what are we pursuing? Self-seeking, flesh, desires for pleasure. This is what you don't need anybody to identify it for you. This it's plain and it's clear. If the things that come out of your mouth cause strife, dissension, if they're not peaceable, it's not God. Quit it. Get out of it. Where do wars and fights come from among you? It's obvious where they come from. You have to get rid of your desires and pursue after God's. But what if God doesn't want this for me? Trust Him. See, we don't trust God. That's really the crux of it. I don't trust Him. If I fully trusted Him, then whenever God says, don't do it, okay. Because I trust that He's got my best interest in mind. He's got the kingdom of God in mind. All right, I won't do it. Stay all that. Go this way. All right, I'll go that way. Do this. All right, I'll do it. And see, the more we get our place, get ourselves to a place that we will yield that quickly to the voice of God, our lives will change. That's, that is a demonstration of a person who has trained their spirit. They've walked in that kind of training. As soon as they pick up something in their spirit, they do it. They do it. How many times do you like to tell someone something when you know they probably won't listen? You've had past experience. You've told them before and they've ignored you. They've gone about it their own way. How many of you say, I'd just rather not get into it again? I just don't need to say that again. I've already said it before. I mean, don't you do that? But we want God to continue to say stuff to us as we ignore Him. And we do our own thing. No, God doesn't do that either. He says, you're going to ignore me? Go right on ahead. When you're ready to hear, you come tell me. Because God doesn't have to say stuff. And when He does, He doesn't say much. He doesn't have to. 
It can be very short. Deliver my people. Save my people. Teach my people. <laughs> he doesn't say a whole lot of stuff to people. It's pretty, it's pretty short. But you go on out there and you do the thing that God says to do. And you keep doing it. And you stay with it. Even though your emotions are trying to take you in a different direction. No, not listen to emotions. I'm meditating on the Word of God. I'm not meditating on things that are self-seeking. I'm going after these things in the Word. So we want to uncover principles of training my spirit. Principles of developing my spirit. Getting me to the point that I know I heard and I will yield instantly. Because these are the things that stand in our way. First off, we're ignorant of some things that God has said. Secondly, I'm resistant to some of the things that God has said because of other things in my life. And I'm not going that way. I'm not yielding as quickly as I should. And I'm not acting on those things. I'm getting lazy. Well, not, not something we ought to be. Or to be doing. Father, we thank You for the principles in Your Word that You give us. That You train us up. That You help us to know what Your will is. To know what Your Spirit says to us. That we walk in the wisdom of God. And whatever we need in godly wisdom, it's there. Whenever we need godly resources, they're there. Whatever we need, You are there to supply it. Because we're walking according to the Spirit. And not according to the flesh. For the flesh resources are limited, but yours are not. Amen. And that's the way we wish to go. Amen. Father, we thank You for the help that You give us on this journey. Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.